Welcome to the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I am the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 21 and is from the service for December 10th, 2023. The scripture lessons are Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 to 11 and Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 8. And the sermon is entitled, Crying Out. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson for tonight comes from the, well, two scripture lessons. One comes from the 40th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, verses 1 through 11. And the second comes from the gospel according to Mark, verses 1 Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. From Isaiah, we read, Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass, their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Now from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the anointed one God's son. As it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, Look, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way. A voice crying in the wild land, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John arrived in the wild land immersing and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole region of Judah and all the Jerusalemites would go out, profess their sins, and get baptized by him in the Jordan River. John was dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he'd eat locusts and wild honey. He would proclaim, Coming after me is someone stronger than me. 
I'm not even worthy of stooping down to untie his sandals. I'm baptizing you with water. He'll baptize you with Holy Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The passage we heard read a few moments ago from Isaiah is one of the cornerstone passages, not just of the Advent season, but of Christian faith in general. It is a passage written from the perspective of a people who had spent generations in exile in Babylon who were longing for some kind of release from their captivity. And along comes this unknown prophet writing in the tradition of the earlier prophet Isaiah of Jerusalem and penning words that would begin not just a second set of chapters in the book that bears Isaiah's name, but in many ways Christian and Jewish reflection on hope for the end of days. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Tell Jerusalem, you've served your penalty, you've paid double for your sins, and the time has come for restoration. One is called to cry out, a voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare a highway for our God, for, for the, make straight the highway for the Lord, in the desert prepare a highway for our God. This call has become so central to Jewish expectations for divine deliverance from captivity that it is no surprise that it should find itself amplified some five centuries later in Mark's version of the gospel when framing Jesus's entire mission. In fact, Mark goes to extra lengths to identify this passage not only with Jesus, but with the one who proclaims a message about Jesus. And so Mark does sort of some extra work making sure that when we see John the Baptist appear on the pages of that gospel, we understand that the words that John is speaking are the words of a prophet. In fact, Mark describes John the Baptist much in the way that Elisha, or sorry, Elijah the Tishbite was described in the Old Testament, that is, wearing a leather belt and being kind of hairy <laughs> um, here, John the Baptist is wearing a camel's hair shirt um, and is dressed with a leather belt, and he's out living a very ascetic life in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey. And so we are told right away that this is you know, a prophetic figure, and then the words that come out of his mouth are the words from the prophet Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord. Now Mark does a little extra editing here, and it's not really anything he does wrong. The Hebrew text, as we saw, says, a voice cries out, colon, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, in the desert make straight a highway for our God. Mark tells it to this in this way, a voice cries out in the wilderness, comma, 
prepare the way of the Lord. He's not the only one to break up the sentence that way. These ancient documents had no punctuation and no one was really sure where these things went. But what he does is he identifies not the words, not the action called for preparing the way of the Lord being in the wilderness, but where the person crying out is. A voice cries out in the wilderness, comma, prepare the way of the Lord. And so we understand that what John is doing out here by the River Jordan, baptizing from populations coming to him from all over Judea, all throughout Jerusalem, is that he is standing in for the prophet who is announcing this fundamental change in the world, this eschatological hope, this hope for the coming kingdom of God, that John is doing that at the beginning of Mark's gospel and then preparing the way literally by saying, the one who comes after me is greater than me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals, which may seem like a strange thing to offer, but is the role of a servant. That is, when the master would come home, the servant would untie the master's sandals, wash the master's feet, and so on. It's the basic, most sort of menial task that a servant can do for their master. And what John is saying is, I'm not even worthy of doing that for the one who comes after me. All of this is meant to set up an expectation that in Mark's gospel will be fulfilled in the next chapter when Jesus, or in the next section, I should say, when Jesus appears and is baptized by John in the wilderness. But what do we make of it? That is, what are we supposed to do with this? We who likely don't need to be told that it's Jesus he's talking about, especially those of us who've grown up in the church and have heard this story a million times, and also reading contextually, knowing that we're reading from the New Testament, are likely to guess that it's probably Jesus he's talking about. What are we supposed to do with this text? How are we supposed to make sense of it for our lives? I keep coming back to that word, cry out, to call out that what John is doing is John is fulfilling the duty of a prophet, which is to proclaim, that is, for to, to say the word of God, to proclaim, to cry out. And yet it's instructive that crying out is often not enough. That is, it is not enough simply to speak what we say and to whom we say it matters. See, it's interesting because John the Baptist does the right kind of prophetic speaking. It, it's a line that uh, when I was in seminary, we heard all the time that we were supposed to do. We were supposed to, to do the following thing. And we were told this so often that I assumed that someone had coined this very phrase to train ministers. It turns out it was actually to train journalists, but it's still the right thing to do. And what that is, is comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That that is 
the sort of the heart of the prophetic task, right, is to speak comfort to those who are, need that comfort. And for those who are feeling comfortable to make them feel uncomfortable. That's a really interesting task because what we often see is religious leaders who are perpetuating the comfort of the comfortable, who are telling them what their faith asks of them is just to be nice to each other or just to you know write nice checks to the church or to various charities. And that's all you need to do and does not ever ask them to challenge their own comfort, their own privilege, their own status, their own wealth, any of the things that John the Baptist would definitely have called them out for. That's what it means to cry out. It's not to cry out in trite, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, trite statements that are, um, that don't say anything. Um, I used to have a colleague who didn't like having to pray at, um, at uh, graduations because he thought that he wasn't really saying anything of substance, is that all he was saying was one kind of empty statement after another. And I used to push back, you know, you, you could say something meaningful. <laughs> like you don't have to do that just because that seems to be what everybody does, right? But he would just say, you know, he would say, well, my, my prayers are all, you know, oh, undefined deity, platitude, 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 amen, right? And I remember that um, that even though the administration would be happy with something like that, the university administration would always be happy for you to say absolutely nothing of any consequence. The people that you prayed for often did respond. And I remember it was in, I want to say it was in the spring of 2017, and it was after a year in which uh, the Black community had been through so much and had experienced a lot of pain and suffering that I gave that prayer and throughout it, I wove the words of the Negro National Anthem, lift every voice and sing. I quoted phrases like Stony the Road We've Trod and things like that. And what people came up to me afterward. So many people came up to me afterward and thanked me for giving voice to that, that they were the afflicted and had felt comforted by that. And at the same time, the words of that anthem are defiant and they challenge the comfortable. They knock us from our positions and our privileges and ask us to reconsider how we are maintaining the very systems that are afflicting the afflicted. So the speech that we are called to cry out is not the kind of bludgeoning talk that so many Christians do, the kind of believe in Jesus or go to hell kind of speech. That's not the good news. That, that doesn't sound like good news, just even on an objective level. Threatening people with eternal damnation is a very difficult way to say, or it's very difficult to say that such a thing is anybody's good news. 
but offering hope, offering visions of a kind of reconstruction of the world, a rebuilding of the world in God's image, a rebuilding where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, where the, all the things that the world devalues, like humility, self-sacrifice, mercy, forgiveness, that those become the values that exalt people and all the virtues that the world seems to extol, like power and retribution and vengeance and violence, right? That all those things are what diminish a person. So the gospel is not just a pleasant series of ethical statements. It's not just advice for how to live a more productive life, and it's not just things that sound pleasant. There is an apocalyptic edge to it. It's why in Advent, we don't read stories of the shepherds you know, going out to the fields, or we don't read the stories of the wise men packing up their luggage to take a trip, right? They're not these pleasant little stories that lead us up to the manger. They are full of prophets crying out for justice, apocalyptic imagery about, you know, the temple being torn down or the heavens being torn open. All of these images are meant to show that what we are anticipating coming on the 25th of December is not simply a beautiful little baby boy in a manger surrounded by lowing cattle and kind sheep and all kinds of things like that, but something fundamental come into the world that will transform the world and change it radically into something resembling the kingdom of God. A kingdom in which the first shall be last and the last first, in which the mighty are cast down from their thrones and the lowly are lifted up in the words of Mary's Magnificat, in which the poor are fed and the overfull are sent empty away. All of these things envision a kind of transformation that is so much more than simply let's just all be nice to each other. That's what we're called to cry out. And it's not a message without consequence either, as John the Baptist will find out shortly, and as Jesus himself knows all too well. But it is a message that is consistent with lighting the darkness. It is a message that is consistent with the incarnation of the divine word in our midst. And it is a message that is consistent with the task of discipleship that we have been called to do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us again soon.